welcome to today's episode where I am reading Neville Goddard's lecture titled The Pearl of Great Price. Neville tells his audience tonight's subject is the Pearl of Great Price. This is taken from the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, the 45th and 46th verses. It's all about the kingdom of heaven. First of all, let us realize that the kingdom of heaven is simply that state into which man rises, where everything is completely subject to his imaginative power. He is destined to be an heir, one with his father, who is God, where everything is put under his power. Now here is the quote from the 13th of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. It is my hope that I can bring you to that pearl tonight. You may not value it to the point where you're willing to sell all that you have to buy it, but I will tell you of this pearl. Very few are willing to sell all and buy the pearl. But let me now quote from another passage of the Gospel, the 11th chapter of the book of Luke, the 21st through 23rd. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when one stronger than he assails him and overcomes him, he takes from him the armor in which he trusted, and divides his spoil. The very next line, as though it's an afterthought, throws all the light in the world upon that statement. He who is not with me is against me. There is no benevolent neutrality, none whatsoever. He who is not with me is my enemy. He is against me. So we find the one who is completely in control of his kingdom of heaven. And I tell you that being is called in scripture Christ. But Christ is defined as the power and the wisdom of God. In the first chapter of the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Christ is the power and wisdom of God. Verse 24. Don't look for a man. A man is only the instrument through which this power and this wisdom is exercised. But Christ himself is the power and the wisdom of God. You and I are the instruments through which this power and this wisdom is exercised. So Paul makes this statement. From now on, we'll regard no one from the point of view, even though we once regarded Christ from the human point of view. We regard him so no longer. You who are taking notes, that's his second letter to the Corinthians, the fifth chapter, the 16th verse. From now on, we regard no one from the human point of view, even though we once regarded Christ from the human point of view. We regard him thus no longer. And then he, the author of that statement, defines Christ for us. Christ is the power and wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 1, 24. Now we are told, by him all things are made, and without him was not anything made that was made, but nothing. John 1, 3. And so we invite you now to test the Christ in you. Again, from the letters of Paul, the 13th chapter, 5th verse. In fact, read it through to the 7th verse, but I'll quote you the 5th. Examine yourselves to see whether you are holding to the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in thee? Unless, of course, you fail to meet the test. I hope you will discover that we have not failed. 2 Corinthians 13.5 And then he gives us a warning. For now he's speaking only of power. Power and wisdom personified in the form of one called Christ Jesus. And now he warns us. I hope and I pray to God that you do not use it in the wrong way. Verse 7 
even if you think he's implying now that I have not used it to the full of my knowledge. I'd rather that you hear and feel that I have made a mistake or I have failed than that you use it evilly, implying, stating quite openly, that you can misuse power. Everyone in the world is using his only power, or using this only power, but they don't know it. And so he's trying to bring us to the knowledge of this power and the wise use of it. It's called, as we first quoted it, the Pearl of Great Price. So great is this pearl, so valuable, that it takes everything that you own to buy it. Now, you don't go liquidate your stocks and bonds. You don't sell your homes. You don't sell anything in the world of Caesar. But it takes everything that you now believe in other than it to pay for it. You believe in authority? You've got to sell it. You believe in numerology and teacup leaves and astrology and all these things? No matter what you believe in his power to control you, you've got to sell it. It takes all these beliefs and you've got to sell them. No one will buy them for you, but you give them up as valueless. Therefore, there's no price attached, no value whatsoever. But you can't hold on to one thing you now believe in as a power that controls your life and still hope to buy the pearl of great price. Everything you now believe in, whether it be even the drugs that you take, even the things of diets if you are a vegetarian and you think that that's the way to God, if you're a meat eater and you think that's the way to God, if you're not smoke, or if you are a non, if you are a non-smoker or non-drinker, and that's the way to God, or if you are a smoker and a drinker, and that's the way to God, there's no way to God but Christ. I am the way. There's no other way. Way to what? To everything in this world, but especially to the Father. No one comes unto the Father but by me. And here he defines, here he defines it. He's the only way in the world to everything in this world that you want. And it takes everything that we own as to believe that we think our powers to guide our life to pay for that pearl of great price. If you think for one moment you can hold on to one little thing in the event this doesn't work, you can't buy the pearl. So when I buy the pearl, I go all out and live by it. There's no other being in this world, just this pearl, and I live by it. This pearl is your own wonderful human imagination. That's Christ. Now, I see her in the audience tonight. Last Friday night, this sweet lady told me this story. She went into the baker to buy the usual things that we buy when we go to a bakery, and the lady who weighed in on her didn't look well. She, without asking the reasons for her present appearance in her own mind's eye when she got home, talked to her as though she stood before her physically. She did not sit down, she didn't relax, didn't go into a trance, just brought it before her mind's eye and heard her say that she felt so well. And she complimented her on the way she looked. She looked so well. This was a communion between two souls. She looked so well. And she believed in the reality of her imaginal act, one week later, she goes back into the same bakery, and here is this lady. Same lady, but radiant. So radiant, it prompted a response from this one, and she said, But she looks so well. What has happened? Well, she said, this past week I inherited some money, and I paid all of my bills. I paid everything that I owed in this world, and so I have no debts, and I have money. Now, this lady is totally unaware of the gift she received from the lady 
who is presented here tonight, totally unaware of it. Now listen to these words and try to put any other interpretation upon them in the world, and then tell me if you can. This is from the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew. Inasmuch as you did it, to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. You don't need the consent of any being in this world to hear good news for them. You don't have to say, do you want me to hear it? Do you want praise? If you ask them in advance, should I hear good news for you? You're only asking in the event that it works. They'll praise you or in some way give you something. You don't ask anyone for their permission or, or for their permission to hear good news. For inasmuch as you have heard it, as you have done it, to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. And when you did not do it, you did not do it unto me. Verse 45. And so every moment of time there is the opportunity to do it unto Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus being your own wonderful human imagination. To see man in need and not act in your own wonderful imagination like she did is to keep the wounds open and to bear more and more stripes upon the body of Christ Jesus. For the only Christ Jesus is in you as your own or as your only wonderful human imagination. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Come test yourself and see. What a wonderful invitation. Test yourself. How would I test myself? Well, this is how you test yourself. I tell you that if you imagine, as this lady did, that someone stands before you in bodily form, although they cannot be seen with your mortal eye, but actually you imagine they are standing before you, and you carried on a conversation with them from the premise of your fulfilled desire for them, and then you feel them as you would feel them, or they now solidly present, and you believe in the reality of that imagination, it's done. And how it happens, you need not be concerned. It has its own manner of externalizing itself within your world, or within their world. All you need do is do it. As told us in the first chapter of the book of James, receive with meekness the implanted word, and the word is called Christ Jesus, the power and the wisdom of God. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Verse 22. So when he tells me to be the doer of the word, the world thinks it means to go out and make some physical effort. Now, James is not telling me substitute works for faith. Works are the evidence as to whether the faith that I profess is alive or dead. Is it alive? If it's alive, I will act upon it. If it's not alive, well, then I won't act upon it. I haven't yet, brought the, I haven't yet bought the pearl of great price. When I buy the pearl of great price, there's no other pearl like it. I sell it all this world. I sell everything of this world to buy it. I sell all beliefs and powers other than my own wonderful human imagination. Everyone, because he has imagination and everyone can imagine and everyone can believe in the reality of his imaginal act, is free. It sets a man free, for we are told if you believe my word and abide in my word, then you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 8.31 Well, how does he define the truth? He said, I am the truth. He said, if you know my word, you know the truth. And I am the truth. So if you abide in this, then you'll be set free. <clears throat> you mean that if I simply imagine that I am the man that I would like to be, that's all I need do? Just try it. Imagine that you are already the man that you would like to be. 
the woman you'd like to be. Your friends are, and total strangers are as you would like them to be. Just imagine it. Try it. Test yourself and see. As you test yourself and it happens, well then, can you turn your back to the belief and any power outside of Christ Jesus? It's finding who he is. And I tell you, Christ Jesus is your own wonderful human imagination. You must resurrect. And so you start to exercise some believing in him, believe in the law of Christ Jesus and be saved. So I begin to believe in him, put all my trust in him. It doesn't matter where I start in life. Behind the eight ball makes no difference. I start believing in him and only in Christ Jesus. Then I take off from there, come then I take off from there, giving my entire life to him, just as though there were no others. Just Christ Jesus, and I have found him. He's my own wonderful imagination. When I believe in him to that extent, things happen. Now she tells me the same lady, that's why I named this tonight, the Pearl of Great Price, that she had a dream. And here is all mud and nothing but mud, whirling mud. As it whirls and whirls and whirls before her mind's eye in her dream, she noticed a small, perfectly perfect pearl. She picked it up and held this perfect pearl. It wasn't big, but it was perfect. It was a perfect pearl in her hand, and then she awoke. Now this pearl she found in the series of experiences that she conducted. For a boy came east, came from the east to the west, with instructions that if he couldn't find a job in the immediate present, he had to return to the east. So she simply on a Friday night saw him, not physically but in her mind's eye, as though he stood before her physically and congratulated him on the job, just as though it were a true physical contact. On Monday the boy got the job and therefore did not have to return to the east coast. Now here is a young lady, I call her young lady, as she can't be more than her early twenties. If I looked at her through my eyes, all things being relative, she has three little babies. But I wouldn't think she's more than her early 20s. I'd be surprised if she's passed beyond the middle 20s. Looking at her, born in Italy, of a Catholic family, Catholic faith brought to this meeting of bars by her mother-in-law, and adopted this concept of Christ Jesus. Her family despairs because they think unless you have the concept of Christ Jesus, there's no entrance into the kingdom of heaven, as they understand it. But I tell you, she is well into it. She is exercising the only Christ Jesus in the world. He calls upon us to test him every moment of time. But you can't buy him unless you pay the price. And the price it takes, everything you have to buy him. Listen to these words. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, finding one pearl of great value, went and sold everything that he had and bought it. Everything, not a few things. The average person would say, well, after all, I know that's all well and good. But Sanka doesn't keep me in a state of sleep when normal coffee keeps me awake. And I know that an extra martini does so-and-so to me, and I take none. Or maybe I could take vodka because it's good for my breath and not the martini. And a thousand things of the world people have concerning what they should do. Every belief in a power outside of Christ Jesus you give up. And you give it up and hold on to him and only to him. Then you bought the pearl. That you exercise it. The greatest value in the world and that's Christ Jesus. So here she has tonight I think. She has a pearl of great price. 
I hope you tonight will accept it. You know, not everyone who finds Christ Jesus sought him. Philip found him, and then he brought his friend Nathaniel. Nathaniel wasn't seeking him, but Daniel was waiting for things to happen, for he knew the scripture backward. Or when Nathaniel heard that the Messiah had appeared, he said, What? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? John 1.46 And Jesus said to him, An Israelite indeed, and whom there is no guile, verse 47. He knew his scripture. Peter wasn't seeking him. His brother Andrew found him. Andrew went and called his brother Peter and said, We have found him of whom Moses and the law spoke and all the prophets spoke. So they were not looking for him, but they found him because someone found him and was so interested in what they found they wanted to share him with those that they loved. For he is all that we claim him to be. We can't keep him to ourselves. We have to share him. And so maybe this night a total stranger may be here who was really not overly eager to change your concept of Christ Jesus. They aren't seeking another concept of him at all, and maybe you will be interested enough to test what I'm talking about and see if this is not Christ Jesus. For listen to it. By him all things are made, and without him there was not anything made that was made, John 1, three. Well, now here a lady brought into being something that she had imagined without devising the means by which it would happen. She simply imagined it, period. She didn't, or didn't she make... Hold on, I'm sorry. She simply imagined it. Didn't she make it? She certainly made it without... Okay, this sentence is all messed up. Hold on. She certainly made it. Um, she set up the... Oh, she set up the one for whom she made it. Well, if she made it and all things are made by him, didn't she say to herself, well, how can I make it? I only imagined it. Therefore, he must be imagination, and this being an action must be imagining. And there it is. So she found it. She tried it again, and it worked. And someone tried it a third time, a twelfth time, hundredth time, and it works. But if I say this to someone in the world, and they won't even try it, well, you know, in science, to demand approval before you are willing to make the experiment is nonsense. It's only through the experiment, and it's working out, and performing it, that proof can be received by us. So to demand proof before I make the experiment is stupid. So I say to the world, if there is evidence for a thing, then what the world thinks about it or even wishes for it does nothing to the point. It makes no difference whatsoever what the world thinks about this, if I can prove it in performance. So I say to you, take a friend who is now unemployed and bring him before your mind's eye, as the lady did, and see him now gainfully employed. He need not be physically present. In fact, he's not physically present, but you treat him as though he were and put your metal hand, your mental hand upon him and give him the solidity that would be there were it true. Then carry on a mental conversation with him from the promise that it is true and let him tell you that he's gainfully employed. Dan loves what he is doing. There was such opportunity, such growth in what he is doing. Do nothing outside of that, for listen to the words of Paul concerning Christ. Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. It's not only the power, blind power, it's wisdom, the wisdom of God. If it's the wisdom of God, 
uh, wisdom God, and God knows how to navigate the world, or and you know how to navigate the world, the whole vast world, and move it to bring this one into a gainfully employed state, all you need to do is believe in Christ Jesus, and that is the pearl of great price. No power in the world can stop it. All it needs is acceptance on the part of us. So here, when there was a strong man, and he's fully armed, and he guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when one stronger than he assails him and overcomes him, he, him, he takes from him the armor in which he believed, and then disposes of the spoil, divides the spoil. Now that wonderful statement, he who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. It's so irrelevant to that scene that preceded it, and it throws all the light in the world upon that statement. Some power in the world comes into man's mind. It's Christ Jesus. You don't need a social standing, a financial background, intellectual background, any of these backgrounds to feel secure in the world. You've found him, and this is the one who can overcome all the powers of the world. And if you are not with him, then you are against him. You wouldn't think that. In this world today, we have countries that are called neutralist countries, benevolent neutralists. Not in scripture, you're either with me or against me, and either you're with me or you're my enemy. Can you imagine that? I'm either for him or his enemy. Can't be neutral. I either believe in it or I don't believe in it. And of the 900 million Christians in the world, how many really believe in the true Christ? They believe in lighting a candle. They believe in, genuflex in genuflexion and all the other things in the world, and I wouldn't criticize any of them. Leave them until they find the true Christ. When they find the true Christ, then it doesn't really matter whether you eat meat or don't eat meat, whether you drink or don't drink, whether you smoke or don't smoke, and whether you do any of these things. It has nothing whatsoever to do with the true Christ. And Christ is your own wonderful human imagination. That's Christ. So when you go before anyone, don't even take thought as to what you're going to say. Just imagine the end and having pronounced his judgment based upon the end you have predetermined, do that. Live, in, live this way in the world, trusting 100% in the pearl of great price. May I tell you, it will not fail you. But you can't modify it. You can't hold back one little reserved thing. I'm speaking from experience. Not knowing that it was my own human imagination that predicted accurately through the medium of the cards and the medium of the stars, I held back a little reserve note in my mind's eye when I found Christ. I would still have in my mind's eye my old horoscope and I quickly arranged its progression and I would note the day and just justify failure. For the rule of my sixth, can't get a job. There's no money in it. So it's all there, it's all in my mind's eye. I had to completely give it up and so tear up my horoscope in my mind's eye it doesn't exist. I had to completely destroy it as a power that guided me. But I held it because I successfully foretold events for unnumbered people in New York City. I had almost the entire metropolitan crowd. The entire metropolitan opera, they came to me. I so believed in what I did that I predicted with conviction. It worked, and they were so sold on it. Then I had to have an experience one day to show me it was only my own intense belief in these little symbols that made them work. I came into my friend's home, and I taught her how to read charts and how to set them up. Her name was Carpenter, Norma Carpenter, and I taught her. Then, having retired from a teaching profession in Scranton, Pennsylvania, she had a small pension from the railroad where her husband worked, plus a small pension from her former job. So, she eked out a living. 
but she could augment it in a nice way by telling her reading charts, and I taught her how to do it. When I came to her place one day, she lived in a hotel. Norma was in tears. I said, what's wrong, Norma? Well, she said, a man called me up. He was recommended by a friend of mine, and he was very eager to see me right away. He had this fantastic deal on. So over the phone, before he arrived, he gave me his birthday, his hour, everything about it, and so I erected the chart. When he came, I told him I'm so convinced of this good fortune falling his way today that I can close the book on it. He said to me, Miss Carpenter, if you're telling the truth, I will give you $100. She said so confidently, well, give it to me now because it does work today. And she gave me all the reasons, which I knew, I taught them to her, how it had to work today because of this transitive moon over these certain aspects of the chart. He said, no, if it works, you will get it today, but I'll not give it to you now. I said, what's wrong with that? Well, she said, I made up this chart from a bound volume of ephemerides. I was sitting at the open window. It's hot, and so I turned away. I was diverted. And when I went back, I didn't realize the wind had blown over the pages. And I erected the chart of a man who was born ten years before this man. This man wasn't even born. Progressed my chart from this horoscope. Made up ten years before the birth of this man. I said, Norma, did you believe it? It when you spoke to him? She said, certainly I did. I said, forget it. Just completely forget it. It's done. I was in her room, her suite of rooms that night, around eight, when a Western Union boy came upstairs and delivered a check. A Western Union check for $100. And the chart was drawn on a man. Let's see. On a man who wasn't born. He was born 10 years after this chart of a man. But Norma cannot sell that because she feels they all believed in me. She cannot buy the pearl of great price because she feels her only insecurity is to get her little small check from the railroad in Pennsylvania and eke it out with this. So she cannot give up and buy the pearl. You've got to give up every belief in this world and a power outside of Christ to buy Christ. There's nothing but Jesus Christ. So you either believe in him or you don't believe in him. And any reservation for a rainy day, it'll rain. So you hold back the belief in the stars. While I'm confessing, having done it so successfully over the years, that I still carried in my mental furniture my chart. And so you see, you could always justify failure. As Blake said, self-justification is the voice of hell. I didn't know it, in hell everyone is justifying himself. No matter what he does, if it's a failure, he justifies it. He gives you all the reasons in the world. But hell is not a place outside of earth, it's right here. So we are in the hell justifying failure. We say I couldn't do it because look at my Venus. And then as soon as Venus gets beyond the point where it interferes with me, but I still have Mercury. And so there I go. And when in spite of Venus and Mercury, something happens, oh, why didn't I see this? Well, there it was all along. A man goes back and justifies and reflects and then again justifies. No, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. All that he had, not a few things. You can't just buy it with a few of the things that you will dispose of. Yet, you can use it, use it wisely and successfully. But you don't really possess him, that pearl, unless you buy him. And you can only buy him when you've sold everything that you have. Well, then buy him. And so that, it's all out or nothing. So he who is not with me is against me. I know it's a difficult thing, but it is worthwhile having when you consider 
By having Christ Jesus, you are rising into a world of an entirely new order, where everything is subject to your imaginative power. You're not here at all. You are moving from the world of death into the world of life when you find him and make him one with you. So you take it, and let me tonight, in a quick summary, it will take me no more than one minute to do it, two minutes at the most, you take this pattern. It's going to happen to you. Crucifixion is over for all of us. You aren't going to be crucified. I have been crucified with Christ. It is not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That is Galatians, 2nd chapter, 20th verse, the 6th of Romans. If we have been united with Christ in a death like this, that's past. In a change of tense, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this, that's to be. Now we are told that those are misleading the people by teaching that the resurrection is over and past. The resurrection is not. It's to be. It's taking place one after the other. So believe me, the crucifixion came first. That's over. The second stage in the unfolding drama is the resurrection. The second stage, one man awakes in a grave to find that he was all along dead, or he wouldn't awake in a grave. You don't put anyone in a tomb unless he's dead. So you awake in the tomb of your skull to find that it wasn't what you thought it was. It was a tomb. And then, at that very moment that you discover, in the act of resurrecting, it now is converted from a tomb into a womb, and then comes the birth. So it's crucifixion and then resurrection, birth from above. These are the three stages. Then comes a fourth stage. The fourth stage is when the title of titles is conferred upon the one who is born from above. For conferred upon the risen Christ is in the experience of man is the divine title, Father. No one can utter the word Father but the Son. So the Son, God's only begotten Son, calls you Father. And then the title is conferred upon you and you are the Father. One with God because he is God's Son and he calls you Father. And you know it. Psalm 2-7, Psalm 89-26. Then comes the next stage, the final stage when the temple and its wonderful curtain that separate man from God is torn from top to bottom, so that now you have direct access to the being that you were and are, the being that is God. No intermediary between yourself and God. Go straight to the being that you really are, which being is God. So these are the five perfect stages, and all the others told about him will happen in their own wonderful way, regardless of the order in which they happen. But this series, as I just gave it to you, this is the sequence. We're all already crucified and all will be eventually individually resurrected. Then after the resurrection will come a spiritual birth, where he is born into an entirely different sphere. And then on him is conferred, in that sphere, the divine title of Father, and it takes God's only Son to confer the title. For the Son comes and calls you Adonai, my Lord, my Father, in fulfillment of Scripture, in fulfillment of the 89th Psalm. And then comes the final one, when the curtain of the temple is torn from top to bottom and everything is split, all the rocks are split and all the earthquakes. 
Then you rise as you're told you must rise, in this form that cannot be described. It's called in the scripture the Elohim, a celestial being, and the closest they can come to describing the Elohim is a fiery serpent. That's exactly what you are and feel and see when you rise. Human, yes, but for all the identity of personality, a rattled, radical discontinuity of form. Then you rise and the whole world quakes. It's all within you. The whole drama takes place in the individual. You do not rise from the body, you rise in the body. You do not awaken from the body, you awaken in the body. And the whole thing takes place within the individual. But tonight, you believe me. And if you didn't know this was the pear or the pearl of great price, I brought it to you this night. I hope you'll buy it. But like all great things of scripture, come, buy wine, buy milk, without money, without price. The only price you pay for it, not dollars and cents. You give up your belief in powers outside of Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus is your own wonderful human imagination. Now let us go into the silence. All right. So there we have Neville Goddard's lecture, The Pearl of Great Price. There is a question and answer section of about a page and a half, but because a lot of the questions are inaudible, and I have decided to no longer read the question and answer sections. But if you want, you can download a copy of the lecture um, from the resource page on my blog, which is just lenakatier.com. Uh, go to the resource Link up top, and uh, there's uh, Neville Goddard lectures in the drop-down menu. All right, thank you so much for joining me for another episode, and I will see you guys next time. All right, bye now. Have a great day.